Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Welcome, one and all, to another awesome episode of Dead Rock Stars, in which my dear friend Lord Mick of Walshire and I discuss uh, the great and the good and the departed of rock. Mick, who are we talking about today? Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. Now, despite my jaunty tone, uh, I'm actually quite gutted and sad about Chris Cornell. I, Were I'm you in love? It. I was uh, full of admiration for the Did great Did you man. have man love for Let him? me explain something. Let me set a scene for you. Right. In 2015, I was standing on a beach in France, looking at the sea... And I could see the waves rolling in and out, that beautiful sound. My kids were playing on the beach. I was on the phone to Chris Cornell, interviewing him for a magazine about his then new album. And we had this moment... Were you, can I just start? Were you in bathing trunks? Uh, no, I was fully, fully clothed. Fully clothed? At the... Well, it was a temperate weather that day. Oh, I see. So, and I had this great boots, moment with Chris boots Cornell. On, oh, the full yeah. jockstrap. I was uh, conversing with Chris Cornell and we had the most wonderful conversation. And uh, we had some laughs, which it wasn't that usual for him. I'd interviewed him a few years before that. Not many a, laughs with Chris. He'd been a right miserable bastard. This was the uh, album Scream that he produced with uh, Timberland. Right. And the first time I interviewed Justin him. Justin Timberlake. That's the one, yeah. I thought it was shit, and everyone else did, and Chris was in really poor form when he was did, doing Did you say to Chris, I've got your album, it's shit. It's bollocks, mate. Uh, yeah. No, I, I... You didn't say that? No. That's I, not like you. I'm, if I'd been um, on form, I would have left it till the end of the interview and <laughs> slammed the phone down and said, it's bollocks, run away. Anyway, so he was all pissy and not very happy, and then, so it was a great relief when I interviewed him the second time. And he was on really good form because he'd had that album out that year, which was pretty good. Everyone liked it. He was happy, he was chummy, he was cheerful. And then to find a couple of years later that he died at his own uh, hand uh, just gutted me. And I remain gutted to this day. Do you know, though, Joel, uh, on a serious note... A serious note. It's not at all unusual for people that commit suicide to, you know, I saw him just the day before. I saw her two days before. They were on great form. You know, mm. it's... Um, We've been here before, haven't we? And especially uh, a phone call that's an interview. You know, you can get off that phone and, and within 10 seconds be yeah. back in the pit of doom. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, like when I ring you, it's like the opposite. You know, I, <laughs> uh, I get off the phone within 10 seconds, I'm happy <laughs> But but Dead. during the call, you yeah. know, if I had a sharp implement, it would be in my mm, wrists at that point. Black yeah. hole, son, yes. won't you come? Now, look. I've always wondered about that. Uh, he was a very prolific man. And if we're going to cover his career and his impact in whatever, 45 minutes, we're going to have to think only carefully. For, only 45 we? minutes? Well, we'll see how long the, the producer okay. gives us. Okay. 
For those who don't know, uh, Ian, the producer, sitting on the floor in here today, uh, they wouldn't let him sit in the adjoining office. So yeah. he's he's where he yeah. should be, he way below us. He is, yeah. He doesn't even have a chair, which I, I love that. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Sitting I think there. we should do this every time because it offers perspective. Mm. A bit mm. too much fucking perspective, but... Seated at the feet of the greats. <laughs> Get used to it, son. Chris Cornell, now, were you a fan, Mick Wall, of, uh, of Soundgarden, uh, being a professional in the industry as you were when they came up? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, for me, yeah. all those bands were extraordinary in their own right. Yeah. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. And I actually loved all of them, but for very different reasons. In the case of Soundgarden... Yeah. I think what I loved most about them and Cornell was this versatility. I mean, they they all had versatility. Alice in Chains did a fantastic mini album, purely acoustic, at a time when that was, you know, against the rules. And it was fantastic. Pearl Jam went out of their way to try and bend the rules musically. And I don't feel they did it that successfully. Mm. I, don't, I think that was more motivated for reasons of trying to be cool as opposed to having a genuine feel mm. for that. They were the dullest of, of that lot, I thought. First album, still a classic for yeah, me. Yeah, some good singles. No, I think the whole album's a classic. Right, I yeah. honestly do. I think if that album had come out in 73, they would have been just as enormous. We'd have now thought of them as we do Bad Company or Led Zeppelin or that sort of era, yeah. Deep Purple. And Nirvana, of course, I think... You only have to listen to the Unplugged album mm. and to read about where Kurt was thinking about going next in his conversations with Michael Stipe. I mean, he would probably have done that without Nirvana, but nevertheless, you could tell there was a lot more going on than what was on the surface of the Nevermind yeah. album. Yeah. Soundgarden, though, I think, uh, particularly Cornell, particularly Cornell. He was the personality of the band, right? He was, but he was also the most versatile, I think, of all the grunge stars mm. of that era. As a songwriter, you mean? In every respect. Mm. I mean, I think, first of all, you start with the voice. I mean, an incredible four yeah. octave. Four octaves, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I might have five. Blimey. What? <laughs> that wasn't studio trippy. <laughs> do you know what? That was like, it was like having Chris in the room. Uh, it, it was like, it's the least it, I can do. It, it was very much like having a young <laughs> and thrusting Cornell. Uh, Luciano Pavarotti is the word you look for. At about the age seven. I look like Luciano Pavarotti. You're not as good looking. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to me. <laughs> yes. Soundgarden... You know, came from the 80s. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. They're kind of like a, a young contemporary version of, uh, American version of Led Zeppelin or something. They were going for that sort of yeah. power yeah. and weight. But here comes Bad Motor Stepper. Finger. Oh, now, sorry. here comes Bad Motor Finger. <laughs> and that album and that band would have existed exactly as you hear it mm. if Nirvana had never existed if Eddie Vedder had never been lucky enough to join up with Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament. Got it. They truly were au naturel. Mm. They were a real force of nature. And apart from the media perception of them as being part of the grunge thing, yeah, and the right. grunge thing was the coolest thing in the world, that was a stroke of luck. But I don't think they played to that at all. Yeah, okay. And the proof mm. of that is on the Temple of the Dog album. We, I mean, we'll have to retreat our steps here to explain yeah. all that, but you listen to that, and again, that's a pre-Nirvana proposition, mm. and it's unlike anything of that era. Yeah. And let's not forget, by 89, 
you know, we're still in the era of Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and White Lion, and I'm not trying to put those bands down, but that's where we were. We weren't, yeah. we weren't in the era of serious young rock bands, self-aware rock, pushing the envelope, as mm. we might mm. have said back mm. then, if you know, if we were ponces. Right. So I, I, you know, for me, it was he was an incredible talent, and of course, by the time you get to Super Unknown and tracks like Black Hole Sun and and even having spoons on Spoon Man, you know, mm-hmm. I just feel they were the real deal. Yeah, bigger than the grunge tag. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. And I think he rebelled, uh, not rebelled, he pushed against it. Yeah. You know, he was one of the first to kind of cut his hair. By the time you get to the album after Super Unknown, Super Unknown is their commercial zenith. Yeah, yeah. The next album, had they followed that template, even more so. Mm-hmm. But he pushed for them to k- kind of take a step to one side, yeah. a little more acoustic, far less heavy, far less riffage. Mm. And this, of course, leads to the ultimately the split of the band between him and Kim Thale. I'm getting way ahead here, but the point I'm trying to make is I think Cornell, good and bad, right and wrong, was real. And I don't think he could help himself. I think everything he did came from an authentic place. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the rarest yeah. and most compelling All right. uh, reason to really, really love an artist. Okay, I think we need to establish this kind of thing at the front of the show, mm. which you just have very eloquently. Dead rock stars, say hello to heaven. I mentioned a, a little bit earlier that he did an album with Timberland as the producer. Trust him. And I remember... The furore around that. And it was deemed a little bit controversial. Fuck knows why. Was that the guy who did the shoes? <laughs> Dude, you're on fire. The, uh, he was, though, wasn't he? Timberland. Yeah. Uh, it, well, it was his side um, business, the Timberland yeah. Shoe Empire. Between NSYNC. <laughs> And hit stop it, stop. Okay. So we were presented with the dude who, the odd commercial misstep aside, was always authentic and always original and always real and talented. Did so fucking much. Mm. And was really good looking, motherfucker, you know? <sighs> he was. Pissed me off. And yet he went through hideous addictions. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and from a very, very young rehabs age. And rehabs and, and problems with drugs and alcohol and clearly depression, as we'll come to. And yet he was this sort of demigod. It's heinously annoying. He was, and of course he embraced it in... I don't want to use the word ironic, so I don't feel it was ironic, but I think it was a very knowing postmodern celebration, if you like. But in Audio Slave, he comes back as this... <laughs> Audio Slave, right. This rock god. He was the rock god. Reborn, yeah. far more than he'd ever been before. He was going to do a solo... OK, well, again, we'll come to this. But he well, was going we'll to do a solo album, wasn't he? And then he did the audio. audio. Yeah. Well, he, he did do a solo album. It commercially flopperooned. Uh, and then... <laughs> Sorry, what did he do? Flopperooned. That's good, that's good. You had to scrape it off the floor. Scraperooned. Scraperooned, mm-hmm. this flopperoon. Mm-hmm. And then he got together with his mates in the room after Jeff LaRocca... Is it Jeff LaRocca? I don't know. I'm, look, I'm just looking at you in admiration. The producer's saying something. Zach. Zach, yeah. Yeah, I always knew him as Jeff. Oh, Brian. But that may be why he never would speak to me. I don't know, but... <laughs> Zach, Zach, Zach to the wider public, yeah, Jeff to me. To you, yeah. Uh, when he walked out of Rage Against the Machine, yeah. they essentially were looking for a replacement. Yes. But when Cornell still came are. in... Wow, yeah. Profits of Rage is an ongoing thing at the moment, isn't it? Well, there you go. I mean, yeah. bring back Jeff. But in Cornell, there wasn't any sense in going, oh, this is our new vocalist in radio. Nah. This is a whole different proposition. Yeah, right, yeah. which it was, because it sounded like Led Zepp. 
But to get back to your your earlier point, because this is really important, okay. is the whole drug thing. I don't think people realise, because Rockstar takes drugs, gets fucked up, depression, again. blah, yep. blah, blah. Yep. That is not news. Yeah. I think... What is the headline news in this case with Cornell is that he'd started smoking marijuana, taking LSD... PCP as well as a youth. At the age of 12. 12. Shocking. He said he had parents who were both alcoholics, which you would assume is a contributory factor. Well, I, I guess you'd assume... I think also they were you know, there was sort of bohemian sort mm. of environment. They split up when he was young. Cornell is, in fact, his mother's... Mm maiden name. He came from a big family. He was the youngest of three brothers, but he then had three sisters younger than him. Right. And middle class Seattle, Portland, Oregon, all those areas, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. in the 70s in particular, you're in wife swapping, dope smoking, coke snorting central outside of the coasts. But 12 years old, I mean, I I have a son who is 12. As do I. And his coke is just shit, you know, so... <laughs> he prefers the diet stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, can he roll a joint? No, he fucking can't. not cunt. equipped to face the real world, frankly. No, so, uh, no, I mean, all kidding aside, it is deeply shocking to me. It's horrible. And I don't like to think of myself as someone who is, is shocked by no. transgressive behaviour. Yeah. But 12 years old... I know, it's awful, man. And then he has this year mm. of being clean and sober when he's 14... I mean, and, yeah, was... and, and then relapses at 15. I mean, for fuck's sake. He was so prolific throughout his life, though, and so successful, so materially successful, and appeared to enjoy good health, uh, physical health. And yet all this was going on, and he was quite open about it. Well, he certainly was suffering from depression from, you know, the same time he was taking drugs as a young child. Not a young man, a young child. In the podcast that we've done, we've often encountered the, the dread spectre of of depression. And uh, what's interesting is that he, when he was feeling lucid, talked often and expressively about depression, how it felt, what he did to try and combat it, and how he he had concluded that there's nothing you can do about it. And in the case of someone else, you can't help your friends through depression. You just can't. But there are things you can do for yourself to improve your mental health. And it was a sort of prevailing theme. And because it essentially either ended his life or had a large part in ending his life, it's part of the narrative when it comes to Chris Cornell now, maybe more than it was when he was alive. I mean, he must have enjoyed a long, many, many long periods of happiness, I guess, and sort of stability to you, get everything done that he did do, because he got a lot done. I'm going to stop you there. You may. I don't think you have to be happy to get things happy done. Happy was the wrong word. I shouldn't have said that. Stable uh, was the word I, I was uh, shooting for. I guess there was a certain amount of stability because he had achieved success and that... Gives you the... Ian, the producer, we've allowed Mm. him in the room, but now he's walking around waving hands at people. It's really fucking distracting. And he's wearing a rat T-shirt. Do you want the aircon on? I'm trying to... Well, you don't usually put it on. Yeah, we normally sweat our balls off. Yeah, no, I I would love it on, but you always say it's too noisy. It's different different when (laughs) Ian's in the room. room. Keep this in. Do not edit any of this out. Yeah, no, keep all this in. Fucking producers. Yeah. The next episode features... Ian, former producer at Seven Digital, found dead in the toilet. 
we're now meta at this point. Put the AC <clears throat> on, please, Mr. Guy. Can I just make a small point? Yeah. There was some feedback on the Sandy Denny episode that we did where someone said, too many pork pies and too many alternate guitar tunings. And that's because we are fucking about like we are now. <laughs> What's wrong with pork that, pies and alternate guitar tunings? listen, God bless Chris Cornell, but no one yeah. really cares. It's this stuff they're listening for. This is the good this stuff. This is the good stuff. I've got the pork pies here. Do you want one? Yes, please. Oh, dive in. I will, but let me finish what I was saying. I, I may, I will allow that. When someone yeah. suffers from depression, proper serious depression... Clinical um, depression. We're I don't even know if there are such things as long <clears throat> periods of happiness or anything like that. It's either in control of you or you're keeping it in control God, in some you're managing sense. managing it. You're managing it. It's a truly chronic condition. Dreadful. I mean, I have personal experience in family and friends and yep. so forth... You can have a wonderful morning and a mm. suicidal afternoon, <sighs> you know, or minutes to minute almost. I mean, it, it, this isn't a thing where, wow, wow, I've been happy for six months, you mm, know. Mm. You're never, never not depressed. And it's about brain chemistry, as I understand it, which is why it can be treated chemically. Well, it can be relieved, mm. you know, serotonin uplifters or whatever they're but, called, um, Prozac and things like that, or anti-anxiety pills. Yeah. But uptake. all they do is, yeah, is yeah. it's mm. uptake. That's it. Yeah. Turn the volume down. Uh, There's no cure. It's not like, oh, I feel better, zippity doo dah. The only things that will make you feel like that are things like heroin, yeah. cocaine, all right. weed, I, alcohol. I was having a conversation with a chum of mine, uh, John Doran, who runs uh, the Quietus website. John's been sober for 10 years. And he made a very, very good point. He said that when you're pissed, or whatever your choice of sedative may be, it's like a giant mute button has been pressed in your brain. Right. So any kind of white noise or millions of accusing voices you've got yep. in your head saying you're not yep. good enough, you haven't done this right, all that shit is blanked out by the, the, the substance that you use, which is what makes it so attractive. Now, Cornell, he was treated for alcoholism. He was definitely treated for drugs, although I, I don't know if they were specified, but presumably they were the bad ones. They were the opiates. Well, usually, of course, yeah. I mean, heroin was rife throughout Seattle. You but know. this was late into his career. With, with Audio Slave, he was still struggling with this stuff. It's like alcoholism. It's like saying, well, I was uh, an alcoholic in my 20s. <laughs> but I'm better. And now I'm in my 40s. <laughs> I could probably have a drink again. No, no, no. You're an alcoholic, yeah. and that's, the way, and that's who you are. It. There's nothing you can do about it. You just have to... Deal with it. I think also people don't understand that the older you get, mm. often the more reason you have to take drugs. Because at least when you're in your 20s and your record's flying in the charts, <laughs> there's always tomorrow. Mm. Or that popular expression right now, there's always next time. You know, yep. When you get to 45 or 50, there ain't many next times. And you've been round and round so many fucking times. Oh, your record's number one. Yeah. Oh, great. Mm, how about that? Mm. Yeah doesn't change a thing whether you've got a thousand pounds or a million pounds if you're in that place you're in that place have you heard the term the keen shriek of existence the what there are some people for whom the keen shriek of existence is too loud so that means that you get up in the morning you have some background noise the keen shriek the wee just from being alive we all hear it to an extent I'm hearing it now <laughs> like a fucking mosquito for some people it's too great uh, to make a serious point on that anyway so we jumped ahead as we always do do you, do you get that in the morning for me the keen shriek of existence is manageable uh, fortunately 
So when you wake up in the morning, are you like zippity doo da, zippity day? I pretty much am. I'm gonna play my bass today. Yeah, my brain chemistry is gonna mail Glenys. Gonna ignore me. That's pretty much me. I'm tend to be on pretty good form. No, I like that. What about you? When you get out of bed, are you like oh? Well, the first thing I have to do is is remove the knife from my throat. The noose from my neck. No, I put that. The noose from my neck and flail with demons of the night. But I, f- I find a cup of tea usually <laughs> sorts that out. Does it reduce the king shriek of existence? Cup of tea in the morning will fuck all that shit up. Now, for Chris Cornell, none of this was sufficient. Mick, talk a little bit about Andrew Wood. Of Mother Love Boat. Yeah. Those are the words you were grasping for there, aren't they? And failing to find. <laughs> well, Andrew Wood, you know, I mean, maybe we should do a programme on Andrew at some point because yeah. he's like the invisible man of grunge. He's he's such a catalyst for the formation of Pearl Jam. Right. yeah. For the evolution of Soundgarden, for the way the Seattle scene was suddenly seen as not just a kind of a fringe, indie, Mm, mm. crazy kid, two singles and they're gone scene, but something of real substance. Did he work alongside Chris Cornell? Andrew Wood, Andy Wood, uh, used to share an apartment with Chris in the days when Andy was the front man of Mother Love Bone. Yeah. Mother Love Bone in 1989 were the big superstars of this Seattle scene. Hmm. Nirvana were very much kind of John Peel territory. Yeah. That first album, let's be absolutely honest, it wasn't very good. There were mm. some lovely moments like About a Girl, yeah. but they didn't have Dave Grohl, they didn't have production, and it was, you know, it was just a thin mm. indie album. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Soundgarden are very metal. <laughs> They're all in their early 20s and doing Led Zeppelin. And Mother Love Bone were kind of like the local version of Queen. Mm. Andy Wood idolised Freddie Mercury. Mm. Jeff Ament, who was the bass player in Mother Love Bone, mm. and Stone Gossard, who was the guitarist, of course, both went on to mm. Pearl Jam. Mm. Mm. Jeff was a major Iron Maiden fan, mm. you know, mega Maiden fan. Mm. Stone Gossard had really long hair and was listening to Guns N' Roses. And Andy Wood, he was like Prince or someone. He had no connection to whatever was going on right now as Flavour of the Month. So he wasn't interested in Metallica or Guns N' Roses. He was into Queen and he was into Zeppelin and he was into Bowie and he was into Rocker's Spectacle. And, you know, he wore tons of makeup, was very flamboyant. Mm. They got a major deal. This was when I was in L.A. and I was approached about them, taken to see them, given their early copies of their album, all those sorts of things. And they were amazing. (laughs) They were amazing. It was kind of like at at that time, I remember thinking this could be the next Guns N' Roses because that was the only frame of reference at that time, the closest you could get, meaning here's a great rock band. But like Axel and his queen and Elton John obsession, you know, they wrote amazing songs. So Andy was the alpha male in that scene, right? And Chris was the guy in the in the other band that you know weren't quite as happening, but were really good. And Andy, like so many of these people in Seattle, including Chris, who, as we now know, had been using heavy yeah. drugs since he was twelve. Yeah, Andy was a heroin addict. 
you know, he identified with the whole glam, Keith Richards, elegantly waited. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, more Johnny than than Sid, because Sid, bless him, didn't really have any musical talent. Mm. But Mm. Johnny Mm. Thunders in the New York Dolls, you know, that whole scene. Mm. And that meant heroin. And Andy Wood had suffered a couple of ODs. He'd come close many times. He'd cleaned up. He Mm. had a girlfriend that, you know, tried to pull him through. Mm. And eventually... He overdoses, he's in a coma, and Chris and Stone Gossard and Jeff and family and friends stood around the bed while they unplugged the life support. They lit candles and they played Queen songs on a cassette player. Mm. And Chris, uh, who at this point was quite a minor figure, I mean, Soundgarden were known locally, but there was nothing really beyond that. He decides they will make a tribute album. Mm. So he writes most of the songs, sings a great many of them. But they also, by this time, the, the you know, Mother Love Bone are now transmogrifying into Pearl Jam. Right. They've got this utter unknown singer called mm. Eddie Vedder. Mm. So they're not fully functioning yet, but no. no one knows who the hell Eddie Vedder is. Mm. But they put him on the album. So you've got Stone on there, you've got Jeff. Mm-hmm. But Chris was absolutely the focus of that. And, yeah. you know, if you listen to that album, mm. it's kind of like a cross between Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. Right. But with Chris Cornell absolutely taking control and owning it. The album is called Temple of the Dog. Ba- the, the band, the band as it were. Yeah, okay. There was no band, but it was Temple of the Dog. Got and the album was Temple of the now, Dog. Now, they reformed much later for like a one one gig, didn't they, or something? Well, what happened was after Nirvana broke, followed yeah. by Pearl Jam, followed by Soundgarden, and a year later, Alice in Chains. Mm. At this point, grunge has burst onto the scene. Exploded onto the it scene. It has exploded onto the scene with many abundantly <laughs> titled albums and sophomore efforts. Songs about suffering. Um, and uh, along with a lot of heroin and suicide and all the rest of it. And so they re-released the album and yeah. it immediately went platinum. Yeah. Because of the heat the whole grunge thing was generating. Mm. But also, I mean, great album, you mm, know. Mm, mm. Uh, all right. Good. Really good album. Mm. And of course... Um, You know, the title, Temple of the Dog, was taken from a Mother Love Bone song that Andy had written, Man of Golden Words. Very nice. Check it out. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. I mean, Sam Gordon... Split up, did they not, in around 98, 99, 2000? I don't fucking know. Was it that? I'm um, nodding because I've got pork pie in my oh, mouth. Oh, Mick. They're arguing between the band, weren't they? Thale Pri- and, primarily uh, the old singer-guitarist dichotomy. Ah, that old king. Chris Cornell and Kim Thale. Yeah. But then imagine if you're Kim Thale and you're regarded as, you know, one of the most exciting guitarists in the world at that mm. point and you've done, you know, bad motor fingers, super unknown... And now your singer's going, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. want to do that anymore. Mm. I want us to go in a new direction. <laughs> You're like, well, why don't you go and get a fucking new direction and shove it up your ass? Yeah. You know. Even though you've got a massive stadium tour book, you want to fuck around with the direction. No, I totally get it. I've been in bands. But, but also, if you're Kim Thale as well, you're kind of saying, well, dude, we went in the new direction and the new album fucking flopped. How about mm. that? How about we go in the old direction, which was aiming for number one? Mm. He did his first album, which didn't do well, and then Audio Slave came along. Have I got the sequence right? He did um, Euphoric Morning. Euphoria Morning? No, Euphor- Euphoria, Euphoria Morning. Morning. Thank you. But do you know the story of the the title? I do, Euphoria. because I read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> they took the U out, didn't they? Wikipedia? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> exactly. No, it's because I spoke to Chris in great depth about whether the U should be in... No, <laughs> no I read it on Wikipedia. Yeah, I do. Go on, then. Tell the story. Uh, in one version, there's a U, and the other one, there isn't <laughs> <laughs> Who persuaded him? His to... manager. Tell the fucking story. His manager persuaded him that Euphoria Morning with no you would be more jolly than Euphoria Morning with you. And uh, oh, that's the end of the story, isn't it? No, is there more because to it? no, there's more to it. You should have read further down the page. <laughs> should have clicked on something else. <laughs> what happened was he said that six months after the album came out, he yeah. tried to get them to redo the cover and put the you back in. Why? Because he still thought it was a better title. Yeah, but... And I agree with him. I don't mean about waiting six months. Clearly that's the ham doesn't fit the bread moment, you know. (laughs) But he should never have taken the U out because euphoria mourning. That's intriguing. There's a juxtaposition. Euphoria mourning. I mean, what's that, a Carly Simon song? Well, we were saying a minute ago, I get out of bed like that, right? I leap out of bed and go, hey, I'm euphoric this morning. And I do love you for that, but I'm not going to buy your fucking record to hear you sing about it. No, no, no. Whereas some fucked up dude singing about the euphoria of my death. You know, that's intriguing. Mm, A bit like Jim Morrison. Or Jacques Brel. Or indeed anybody worth listening to in rock music. Unless, of course, you're... Brotherhood of Man. Who has it said that there is only sex and death? Those are the two subjects that uh, obsess all bright-thinking people. That was me. It was someone like Jacques Brel, but with a little more... That was me in the pub the other night. Mm, Sex and death. Might be in Bowie, actually. Sex and death. (laughs) Sex and death. (laughs) Here, when uh, word broke that Audio Slave was coming down the pipe... And they burst onto the scene. When they exploded onto the scene. Yeah. Uh, were you excited by the prospect? Were you an old cynic and going, oh, fuck. Not. At the time, I was an old cynic mm. because I was in a pretty 
mournful euphoria myself. Right, okay. Yeah, definitely with a U. And I just, I don't know. I just thought, oh, fuck all this. But then I saw the video Mm. for the first single. Cock cheese. (laughs) I beg your pardon? Cock cheese. I don't know what you think I said. Cock cheese is what what I thought you said. Yeah, Mick. Yes, I, and I thought that's what you, I thought. I'm talking. No. You're going old oh, cock cheese. No, 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 cock cheese. I don't know how it's pronounced. Is it cock cheese? Cock cheese. The native Red Indian. Do you mean <laughs> the Native American? You're going to try and be PC. Get it right. Fuck. Can't say PC. the Native Red Indian. <laughs> oh, I just say Red Indian then. <laughs> I'm going to Ceylon for my holidays. I remember being with Ross Halfin once at a, a photo shoot with the Red Hot Chili Peppers in LA. Mm. This was before Blood Sugar Sex Magic but after Mother's, Mother's Milk. Milk. So they'd mm. gone gold, mm. so they were happening, mm. but they weren't megastars. And um, Anthony Cadiz and Flea had brought these Red Indian headdresses mm. to the photo shoot, and Ross went, oh, yeah, I like your Red Indian headdresses. <laughs> and Flea went, Native American. Yeah, Native American did. And Ross went, that's what I said, Red Indian. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see they were like, uh, oh, who is? Oh man, dude, I'm I'm offended. Oh, I need wow. a safe space. Wow, the limey limey photographer is really <laughs> uncool. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like an asshole. And then Ross said, as he always did, "Do you like the U? <laughs> Do you want some bootlegs?" <laughs> and I like, well, fellas, I've done my interview. I, oh, I geez, really, must, I really must fuck off Time right this get, second. What's the explain? Time to go. got to be on my way. I made my excuse That's and it. I left. Yeah, yeah, leaving them to it. Yeah, yeah. So back to Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. Where were we? Uh, cock cheese. Right. So I saw the video for Cochise. Mm. Oh, that too. The Red Indian. Yeah. And... Uh, Fabulous, fabulous. I mean, it was it was as if they'd gone, let's use all the rock cliches. Of light. They focused a lot on Tim Comerford's all over tattoo coverage. I yeah. noticed that. Why bother having that if you're not going to focus on? Why have a bass player if he hasn't got covered in tattoos? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, no, no. If you're going to have all those tattoos, at least show them in the video. It is, it is an iconic video. I loved it because it's it, better than the song. The rest of us that have tattoos, it's like they go, "Well, you think you're living in a video." Mm. maybe <laughs> this guy actually is in a video so let's <laughs> see the tattoos now I, I just thought oh I get it what this a debut is, yeah this is spe- I love this because it was kind of like saying okay we're not going to get rid of all the miserable all the baggage of grunge you're not allowed to and do this and Rage Against the Machine to an extent who, who had that oh, yeah, kind of super, super, super earnest edge and it was nice to get rid of that for a yeah. bit yeah it was fantastic do you like Rage Against the Machine oh I really like Rage Against the Machine yeah yeah very very much so I mean they Terribly earnest, as you point mm, out, and I, I, I couldn't listen to say six tracks in a row, not without climbing on the roof with a rifle. Um, <laughs> uh, but they are—I mean, I thought they were always superb, very yeah. kind of ahead of their time, yeah, totally, and giving no quarter. You oh, know, you've got to yeah. salute that. Yeah. Oh, I just wondered if the, if it hit the spot with you. But oh, one hundred percent. Great, I Jeff love in particular. Love him to Fucking bits. Great, yeah. <laughs> and Brian, yeah. yeah, love him to bits. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, Audio Slave, uh, did they follow up on the uh, promise of that first thing? Well, the f- uh, I, well, I'm going to say no. No, I'm going to say no as well. The, the first album exploded onto the onto scene. The scene. Mm. It mm. burst. The self-titled debut. The eponymously, <laughs> eponymous first eponymously titled debut. Right, right. However, the sophomore, sophomore effort, effort, effort their effort at sophomoreness. 
kind of sucked. I mean, it, it was just more of the、mm. same, but not as good. Which is the worst thing you can say about a sophomore effort. A bit like when you said to Lemmy, you didn't need to do that another live album because it was you already had the first one. This one's not as good. Yeah, and, and instead, he went, no, what are yeah, you talking about? Yeah, instead of being angry, he went. Like I stabbed him in the heart. Disappointed. No, you can say anything, but don't say that. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. And I went. Did I? Did I say not as good as? You misheard me, Lemmy.、Mm, I said not as quiet as the first one. I said not as shit as the first one. <laughs> Here, look. So, Audio Slave, their primary function was as a live vehicle to go out and play a load of Rage Against the Machine and Soundgarden tunes. That's my contribution. And make money. Twenty years after the and fact. Make money. And didn't、ne、they make money? Never, well, never rule out money. And people go, oh, they only did it for the money. I personally can't think of、yeah. many better reasons to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, does I, pay the bills. I、yeah. only pay my bills with money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly we are living proof that there are other things you'd like to do with no money, Ian. Sorry, did I say?、Uh, I don't know why I said that, but、uh, like us right now, I mean, we do this for the love. I always wonder if Ian, his name, his surname's Callahan, is related to the former Prime Minister Jim Callahan. Do you think that could be the case? There's only one way to find out. Yeah, he kind of looks a bit like him, doesn't he? In a sort of a younger, leaner, meaner. <clears throat> Got an interesting fact about Jim Callahan. Would you like to hear it? No, he was the only person ever to occupy the four great offices of state, and do you know what they are? Is that like the four elements in Led Zeppelin? It's not really like that. No, it was PM, Chancellor, Home Sec, and Foreign Sec, and Callahan is the only one who's ever had done all four jobs. Really? They when they went, no one really mourned them, did they? Um, I was surprised when they when they. It was the money. <laughs> well, no, it's because、um, Rage Against the Machine reformed. Oh, and Cornell、uh, went through some personal issues. I think. Do you know what I say? I was surprised. I wasn't surprised. I'm just thinking about the truth. Is I don't think I cared. Well, I was the same. It, it just kind of.、Mm. Oh no, they're not doing that anymore. Oh, oh, okay. What are they doing? Well, they're doing Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And he's、uh, making another solo. He did his solo stuff, and、oh. I think at that point that's when he hooked up with,、uh, and that might be a bit later, with Timbaland to do that thing. In all seriousness. The idea of a hip hop producer producing、uh, sort of stadium rock tunes is, shouldn't be controversial, especially、um, not then. I mean, after、right. having gone through all the whole new metal,、yeah. Chili Peppers, Faith No More,、yeah. Rage Against the Machine. There you go. But in fact, the results were just shit. I, I heard that album. I sat through it a couple of times because I was going to interview him. But I thought, oh man, I hate this. And I, I'm quite into hip hop, certain hip hop. Well, see, I was going to say, I think、yeah. it's some of the greatest music ever made, ever ever committed to vinyl, ever committed to vinyl. <laughs> The first time it burst onto my scene, exploded onto your face. Oh, I played at least a track,、mm. and、uh, shame. truthfully, I didn't kind of go, "Oh, this is shit." I just sort of went, "Ah,、oh, you know." In, in other days of CDs, you go, "Next track, yeah, next track," like grazing on TV, you know. Browsing,、uh, browsing, my dear friend, not grazing. They call it grazing, actually, in, in Oxfordshire, right? No, Sorry, not in、bit. fucking Oxfordshire. <laughs> Everywhere except in your house,、I'm、grazing with your re remote. You graze with the remote. It's nonsense. Right. So you、uh, heard a bit of the music. It didn't hit the spot for you. No, but there's so much great music out there. I think.、Uh, mm, mm. I mean, now more than ever, but certainly in the 21st century.、Mm. There's no need to put up with shit anymore. The days、right. of going,、uh, well,、like、it's a、that. fourteen track CD, and I know eight of these tracks are rubbish, but、yeah. I'm going to sit through. No, fuck that. No, no. Good. I, I agree entirely with that. I remember about eight years ago when、uh, the Chili Peppers put out that double record, which was called something like Stadium, Stadium Arcadium. I went to the playback and left. After about an hour of it, I could not face any more of the fucking music. No, and、um, there's no need. Could have been the best band in the world. I couldn't listen to three hours of it. I mean, double albums have always been controversial. Name a good one. Electric Ladyland, Blonde on Blonde,、mm. New Forms by Ronnie Sides, Exile on Main Street. 
Oh, Ronnie Size. Now you're talking. Um, isn't Sandinista a triple album? Yeah, but that's shit. <laughs> I tell you who did the best one yeah. was Extreme, who put out three sides to every story, and the fourth side of the vinyl was blank. Ah, uh, I didn't know that, but I love that You didn't fact. know that? No. After they had the big breakthrough with Get the Funk Out words. Right, yeah. and More Than Words, words mm. the next album was called Three, three sides. sides to Every, every story. story. I love it. And the fourth side of the vinyl was blank because there are only three sides. It's three sides, you get the concept, dude. And that album sank without trace. Metal and that Machine was the, Music, that was a really shit double album, Mick, as we know. Right, moving no, that on. Was, that was an exemplar. <laughs> moving on. An exemplar of moving the genre. swiftly on. That bent the rules. Dead Rock Stars. For those who have rocked, we salute you. Now, have you heard um, Chris Cornell's contribution to Casino Royale, which is yeah. the theme, the theme yeah. tool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's called You Know My Name, is it? Mm. I cannot tell you how much I love that song. Mm. I've played that a lot over the years. Well, I've always liked that kind of, um, uh, the sort of ornaments that the Bond producers put on the music. Uh, you know, the, the, yeah. And the kind of the uh, string wash in the background. So it goes, Can you imagine Chris kind of writing that song on a guitar? Yeah. And then Bond producers coming yeah. in. That's good. <laughs> 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 exactly. Uh, yeah, none of that, Chris. Shut up. Just sing this and we'll yeah. give you a million dollars. Chris goes, I don't but he delivers. I don't recognise my own song anymore. It's Shut almost, up or we'll uh, get Shirley Bassey. It's <laughs> Shirley Bassey. It's almost X Factory in the incredible vocal gymnastics that he is required to perform. They clearly looked on Wikipedia said, who's a rock singer who's got an incredibly wide vocal range? Oh, this guy will do. Brought him in, give him a ton of money and say, right, now make sure in the third and final verse you go really go for it and go, you know my name! And go properly nuts. Yeah, I don't Which think that's does. what happened, actually. Uh, well, do you I, tell me your version of events, Mr. Bond. Well, I can tell you how they go about getting Bond themes. Can we say it in a Bond kind of way? And they never... Mr. Bond. No, Bond. If you want to go for the original Bond. This time, I, I tell I you who's the, the shittiest one was Roger Moore. He's my wife's favourite because it's a generational thing. It's like, who's yeah, your yeah. favourite Doctor Who? Yeah, right. You know, for me, it was the original. Short corner here. And then, I'm talking about Doctor Who. And then later, um, <laughs> Christopher Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston. Man, he kicked ass. David Tennant was the best, you know, I think, in terms Tom of ticking Baker. all... Tom Baker, sure, he's the best. Nah. Everyone prefers Tom Baker. No, I, that's because you were a... Ch- that's what I'm saying. It's a generational thing. You prefer Tom Baker because that's your first Doctor, isn't it? Yeah. That's the one you used to watch yeah. when you were just at home sitting there. Hiding behind the sofa. Exactly. I was out riding a unicorn over the rainbow of love by that point. Where does the Doctor Who series segue with grunge? Uh, from your point Very of much the theme tune. Dung, da, da, ling, da. Oh, that's no, James Bond. Dung, da, da, dung, 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 Black hole sun. Yeah, yeah. of course. You are going into a black hole sun. My rusty cage. How can people feed back on these podcasts? Smells like smells like Teen Spirit. Dung, 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 Exterminate. There you go. Yeah, I tell you about that. Um, Chris Cornell. So, but here's the thing about the latter part of his career. That pond, Bond thing was great. I was going to tell you that. <laughs> You're going to say that Pond thing. Yeah, that, that bullfrog. They don't sit at a meeting and go, "We need a singer with four octaves." They go, "Who's fucking cool that's going to bring some publicity to this?" And someone at some very high level punted Chris Cornell's name. 
none of the Doctor Who producers, none of the James Bond producers were Soundgarden fans. It was, who can we get? And, get and they would, if they, one of them is a Soundgarden fan, you're going to get sued. Barbara Broccoli. The last, <laughs> the last pop record she bought was by Sandy Shaw. Oh, okay? Bless. No, seriously, there's a whole ray of people they approach. All right. And then they, they choose a song. And, it's a great and, song, though, right? And, do, you and like, a, do you like the song? Dun, 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 dun. I thought the latter period for him was he could have been Nick Cave. I think he wanted to be different every time and do something interesting. And so I, I applaud the attempt with uh, Justin Timberland and all those people. On the other hand, he didn't quite pull it off. And I think in the end, he goes back to Soundgarden. Soundgarden reformed and cleaned up, took the money big style. Did you go to that Black Sabbath show in Hyde Park in 2014? Nah. It was possibly the best festival I've ever been to. It was. Were you drunk? Uh, I was in a, the most joyous, brilliant way. It was fantastic. It was Sabbath, obviously, uh, Soundgarden, Motorhead, Faith No More, and uh, Soulfly. That's a long day. Uh, well, yeah, but you know they have they have this. It's called British Summertime. The BST uh, things they have. Yeah, I've read year. about it. Right, and this was in my one, local newspaper. Mate, you should have come. It was amazing the whole You'll way through. Get me there. Soundgarden were really years. on it. Now I was hanging about backstage as I'm once. Oh, to. you were backstage. Was Glenn Hughes there? Now you're going to like this. Even better than Glenith. Who was hanging out talking to uh, Chris Cornell and Kim Thale, but Jim E. Page, your chum. Oh, so Ross was there too then? I assume so. That's how Jimmy got to meet Chris, because Ross uh, and Chris were... They'd worked together. He'd yeah. been doing photographs for... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I have a photo of them together. I took it and then fucked off really quickly before the ape-like security Do you think Jimmy had any idea who Soundgarden were? Well, you know him more than I do. Has he switched on to that level? Yeah. So, in that case, no doubt. And uh, I have this picture of Chris Cornell, which I put on my Facebook page, and he's very, very smiley and happy, which leads us That'll up. be the drugs. Well, now, after his demise, his wife and, I believe, his uh, second att- wife. attorney, correct, his second wife and his attorney... His first wife was his manager. Him. Right. That's interesting, isn't it, that for yep. someone who came from a broken home and had mm. been addicted to alcohol and drugs from the age of 12, mm-hmm. does look for a... A safe environment. So his two wives and were both very heavily involved in his biz. not just his music biz, but protecting his yeah that's all maternal thing. We've talked about professional this. and personal. You and I, without naming any names, have come across many instances of a rock star and his wife, straight manager. And again, without naming any names, because we'll get killed. There is often an infantile relationship that uh, that is very evident from this. It's terrible to see. Don't name any names. I know you're fucking going because I can see your mouth going. Um, we've seen it loads. I can no, name I, you ten examples, and you could probably name me on, twenty. Name, name me one. Well, there's clearly Mrs. Ian. Will you fix the, fix the microphone? And what happens is that the the relationship is that the, the, the man is infantilized, and that the, the person becomes his mother. It's terrible to witness. Maybe this was the case with Chris. Maybe not. I tell you what, though, I think that's the case with many, many, many marriages, you know, particularly as you, mm. you know, time goes by. If a man is married in his 20s, he probably still operates under the illusion that he has some freedom in his life. <laughs> yeah. But by the time he gets to his 40s and 50s and his money and career and business are tied up, mm. he does what the fuck he's told. And even if your business isn't tied up, you do what the fuck you're told. I got a joke. My wife wanted a cat. I wanted a dog. So we compromised and got a cat. (laughs) 
Okay, uh, that's the relationship most men have with their wives, mm. and definitely right. Any rock star that marries his marries manager. a woman and, and gets her to manage him. It's got to be a mistake. There's some questions. Because your manager in rock world, I was always under the illusion that these people had a sort of a, a nice, friendly, mutually beneficial relationship, but the manager oh. yeah, yeah, basically puts them on, a, puts oh. them on a, a collar and a lead and makes them do what they fucking choose to do, isn't it? Mate, that's the story of 95% of marriages. Blows Don't tell mind. me your missus doesn't kick your ass and rule the roost. I would say she rules the roost. Does she kick my ass? No, no. I submit to it willingly. <laughs> Here. No, I, I, my wife doesn't kick my ass. I kick my own ass when she tells mm, me to. Mm, mm. That's what happens in my house. Now, listen up. Yeah. The, we were mentioning... Um, yeah. Chris oh, yeah, Cornell. that was it. I said he was on good form. You Chris said, Cornell. And you, you laughingly said, that'll be the drugs. He was on an anti-anxiety medication called Ativan. Is that, I don't know if I pronounced yeah, it correctly. Yeah, I know that, yeah. In the, wake of want, his, I got some in, in the wake of his death, uh, his wife, whose name is Vicky, is that mm-hmm. right? was quite outsp- outspoken about her belief that too much Ativan had caused her husband suicidal ideation, which he then acted upon. I have no idea what this stuff does, you know, or whether that happens. But the facts remain that I think it was May 18th, 2017, it was not long ago, he was in Detroit having played a gig with Soundgarden, by all accounts of perfectly normal gig, although he was a bit tired or something, I can't remember the detail. You might We're all a bit me. tired. Dude, we are. And uh, he, at some point in the night, hanged himself in his hotel room with an exercise band, which, for those who don't know, is an extremely long elastic band-style thing that you put under your foot and you can do bicep curls with. That's what you've got now, in your hand. Uh, there's nothing in my hand, Mick. Yeah, of course not. Under the table. Sorry, did I? Otherwise. Did we agree not to mention that? Okay. And uh, that's a pretty uh, awful thing. If you ever, you've ever seen one of these things? I think the point is, Joel, yeah. is that it doesn't really matter what he hung himself with. The most awful thing is that he hung himself. Hanged himself. And on is the correct verb. What's wrong with hung himself? Oh, um, there's two past participles for the verb. You brought it up. You, you used to be you a teacher, that, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You say the Shut picture up. was hung on the wall. The man hanged himself. Now, the, he was hung on the wall, and uh, <laughs> while someone was hanging a picture. Now, here's the thing, okay? None of us can know what happened that night. None of us can know mm. the reasons why anybody picks their nose. Do you know what I mean? But here's my thought. Whatever his wife said mm. in those incredibly disastrously tragic circumstances where you're searching for some sense in what is actually a completely senseless we all do it was he was he down i spoke Mm. to him the day before you know Mm. Mm. the fact is the man had suffered from depression his entire life he was 52 he knew what he was doing my thought Mm. i don't know none of us can know including Mm. his wife Mm. My thought is it wouldn't have had anything to do with that. You could say, oh, he'd had a few drinks and it brought on, Mm. you know, these terrible thoughts. They didn't pop into his head that night as he got back from the gig. Mm. They'd been with him for a long, long fucking time. And he'd been very open about that as well. A long, long time. There's a real pattern with suicides of people making several attempts, Mm. thinking about it for a long time. If you go to the doctor and you're suffering from depression, the first thing they ask you is, have you had any suicidal thoughts? Mm. And you kind of think, well, don't we we all have suicidal thoughts? Ponder it. Well, 
you say yes to that, and that's when they start doling out the medication and bringing in if you're postnatal depression. Yes. Question number one: Have you had any suicidal thoughts? Because if you have, that's a serious sign that mm. the next step would be to actually do more than think about it and do it. Mm. Chris Cornell had been thinking about that for decades. It's in his songs. It's in everything he did in his life. As well as the joyous things, I've been trying to, and I know it's foolish because I agree exactly with what you've just said. No one can know, but I imagine. And excuse me, anyone who's listening to this and has been through this, but I haven't, so I don't really know. But is it? I wonder if like this terrible, crushing anguish descends on you, and everything feels terrible, nothing feels good or hopeful or happy or positive, and all you can see is this terrible miasma of chaos that never goes away, and you only think of one solution. Presumably it must be like that. You must be driven to this point of agony. I think there's many roads to that final destination. I think that could be one of them, yeah. Mm. I think there can also be very mediocre, unspectacular... Thought processes. Almost like, fuck this. Yeah, I mean, you know... I'm done. Does a fish dream of water as it swims under the sea? When you are that... It's not like, wow, I was feeling so good yesterday and now mm-hmm. here I am. Oh, it's all building to a, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that is one way it can happen. Mm. But I think there are also very uh, banal mm. ways that these things happen where it's just like, you know what, it's like turning off the light and going to sleep. It's just like, I fucking had it. I'm out of here. You know, everybody's having a good time and you're like, you know what, I'm just not feeling this. I'm off. I think it can right. be as, I totally see your point. as yeah. undramatic as that. The trouble is, the more you agonise about how and why, there is no how and... Well, there is a how, but there's very rarely a why. I think when we did the Kurt Cobain, I told you I interviewed an eminent private doctor in London who specialised in treating musicians, Keith Moon, Greg Lake, many people. And I said to him, I don't get it. Cobain was the hottest rock star in the world for a generation. He had a baby daughter, you know, he had millions, and he went... He said, I I treat people every day that are far wealthier and come from much more entitled and privileged backgrounds than Kurt Cobain. And they have severe depression. They commit suicide. They destroy their lives through alcohol or drugs. You know, this is not peculiar to being a rock star. This is part of the human condition. You know, there are some philosophers say the most astonishing thing is that more of us don't commit suicide. Well, you know, because we've talked at length and intensively on this subject for a few months now, I don't know, it's taken up quite a large space in my head, the idea that... Don't that, do that, it, John. That, no, I'm believing no, don't me, do I'm, it. No, you have friends. I'm happy. Not I'm, me, obviously, but you have some friends. Well, I, I've read about I've seen them on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, God, if it's such a grim subject, we've been quite flippant, but I guess you have to be. No, what I was going to say was that uh, the subject of depression has been... Um, on my mind is the wrong way. I've thought about it more because we've, we've talked about it in depth and uh, what a terrible thing. But then again, I was talking to Geezer Butler a while ago and he said he was depressed. He took a pill and it went away. And he was completely, completely blase about it. He said it's absolutely Well, maybe fun. he was just fed up. Well, maybe. We all get fed up. We do. Depression is an entire horse of an entirely different colour. Anyway, I feel we have delighted the audience too much. Sufficiently. Yeah. If indeed that is your name. As we get to the end of each episode of Dead Rock Stars, we assign stars out of five, do we not, for various criteria. Apparently. Applied to the uh, chap or chapette under discussion. Now, the star quality of Chris Cornell. 
star quality. Oh, well, fuck. He was a star. Come on. He, what are you going to do? He was a star. I'd have probably said four, mm. but then you look at that first Audio Slave video and you say <laughs> five. I know. I know. Truthfully, I'd say four because I, I think mm. he was the full package, yeah. as they say the right. looks, the voice, the talent, the musicianship. Mm, mm, mm. But he was a reluctant star. Wasn't yeah. He? Yeah. He understated it. So I would say four. Good. What about his influence? I think the influence of grunge and the influence beyond that of yeah. artists like Chris Cornell, it's deep, it's big. Can I easily point to modern artists who clearly are from that lineage? I don't know. I mean, you could argue the case of Linkin Park, new metal band formed some years after Soundgarden. The only, who, only reason and, I mentioned them. And, yeah. and who Chris Cornell ended up opening for as a solo artist. Right. They, they were friends, I think. So the singer, Chester Bennington, his own suicide came not long after Cornell's and in the same manner, leading some to speculate that it was... I don't know, some sort of homage or tribute or copycat sort of <laughs> homage. suicide to his dead friend. No, I mean, that, mm. I, you know, who knows? Who the fuck knows? Mm. That was an awful, or other awful thing, which we may or may not talk about at some other point. I also interviewed that guy and really liked him. So that was another really sad thing. I see a pattern. Oh, believe me, for years have people have been... Have you been questioned by the police? People have been uh, saying to me, well, you, did you interview that guy? And then he subsequently died. That's happened to me loads. There's a whole list of them. Yeah. Taste so you spoke excess. to him and he, was he happy when you spoke to him? Uh, oh yeah, he's fantastic. It's amazing was, how was... many of these guys are really happy till they spoke to you, <laughs> and then it all goes down. Fucking hell! Taste for excess. I mean, he jammed uh, many a substance into his Five. veins, into his mouth. Uh, I guess that that means that death as a career move. Well, he was in his fifties. He had a massive catalogue of stuff behind him. Was his profile going to grow and get massive just because he was dead? I, I, I didn't really think so. It was big enough already. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It is. I don't think it was a career move, it was a great one. It's interesting, though, because you can't help but wonder if that may have been one of the things that fed into his suicide, is that mm, yeah. I'm still in Soundgarden. You know, it's 30 years later, we're never going to be what we were. We won't equal what we did, we're just raking in the classic rock dollar now. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but you reach a certain level and that doesn't cut any ice well, it's with not depression. cutting edge, is it? It doesn't uh, satisfy your need to self-express, perhaps. So where would he have gone? What would he have done next? I think in his case, you've got to give the benefit of the doubt because he was adventurous. Mm. But I don't think it was a good career move. No, nah, no. Nah. All right, good. So, Mick, how do we get from Chris Cornell to our next dead rock star? Both Chris and our next dead rock star could sing like an angel, write great songs and play both guitar and drums. Now, Chris was a rocker who would dabble in a bit of soul and a bit of R&B. Our next artist was a soul and R&B star who played a bit of rock. That's actually very well put, and I'll I'll give all credit to uh, Jim Callahan's nephew. Both artists established themselves in music scenes away from the main hubs of the music business. Chris in Washington State, our next musician in a place which would give it away if I said what it is, so I'm not going to. All right, everyone. So thanks very much for tuning in. This has been a Seven Digital production. Thanks very much to our fragrant producer, Ian Callahan and my dear friend, Mick Wall. And that's it from us. Goodbye! That was my four-octave goodbye. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.